Welcome to Ed Influencers, a podcast from ISTE, the International Society for Technology and Education. I'm Joseph South, ISTE's Chief Learning Officer, and I'm excited to bring you interviews with members of the EdTech community who are not just innovating in education, but who are influencing nonprofits, education policy and business, and are shaping how students learn. The public health crisis surrounding COVID-19 has led to school closures across the country, creating a need to transition to online learning. In this special season of Ed Influencers, we will talk to experts who are actively helping schools plan for and cope with the impact of long-term closures. A streamlined transition to online learning demands quick and strategic leadership, especially when thousands of educators and students depend on those actions. In this episode, we will learn from leaders from large urban districts about how they're navigating this transition during the COVID-19 global pandemic. Today, our guests include Instructional Technology Initiative Director, Sophia Mendoza from Los Angeles Unified School District in California, and Innovation Director, Ryan Embriali from Baltimore County Public Schools in Maryland. Thanks for joining us today. Could you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your current role as well as the district that you serve. Sure, good morning. Uh, my name is Ryan Embriali. Uh, I'm currently the Executive Director of Innovative Learning for the Baltimore County Public Schools. Baltimore County, uh, we are a large urban, suburban, rural. We're sort of a whole mix district that sits outside of the city of Baltimore. We uh, just like wrap the beltway essentially around the city of Baltimore. So we have all experienced a massive pivot um, in what schooling means um, in the United States right now. And I know that you were at the epicenter of that um, for Baltimore County Public Schools. Could you just describe that for us? Like, how did the information unfold? I think like so many school districts in this country, we were organizing. I don't know exactly what the right word to use is, but we were processing early on, I would say at the very beginning of March in terms of sort of the what ifs. What's going to happen if we have to go through this process? And so from a curriculum and instruction side, which is where I sit for most of my role with the Baltimore County Public Schools, we were thinking through how do we deliver learning experiences to kids in an environment that may look drastically different than the schoolhouse. And uh, the day that I certainly remember the most is actually Thursday, March 12th, because that's the day that uh, we found out very clearly from the state that public schools were shutting down for two weeks at the time. It was really about how do we move very rapidly into an environment where we could continue to give students and parents now in this situation, some sort of learning experiences that their kids could do. I know every state did things different. Every district did things different around the country. In Maryland, for example, our uh, state superintendent of schools actually shut down public education for, for those first two weeks. Uh, Friday the 13th of March was the, was the last day of school for two weeks. What we did as a school district to prepare for that is quickly pivoted on the 12th and 13th we're very proud. On Friday the 13th, we handed out almost 65,000 library books. 65,000 books. So because how much, how much warning did you have? Uh, we, we asked our school administrative teams and our library media specialists in our schools literally the morning of the 13th to do whatever they could to give students literature 
That is astonishing. Um, and our library media specialists stepped up. They delivered in extraordinary fashion with our administrative teams and with our um, and with our teachers. And it was super exciting to know that so many of our kids were were leaving with reading material, if nothing else. Right. And then making sure all of our sixth through twelfth graders who were in school on that Friday went home with a device where we are one to one six through twelve take home. We're one to one, three, four, and five in school. Our elementary students in the in the upper elementary grades do each have a Chromebook they have access to, and we're currently right now in the process of shipping those Chromebooks home. Okay, but so for six through twelve, you they were used to taking it home, so that was not Correct. a big change. It was just a matter of making sure everybody actually did it. <laughs> exactly. We wanted to make sure everybody actually did it. And so what we've done over the course of uh, the last few weeks is uh, we've surveyed our parents who needs what, and we've taken multi-tiered approach to remote learning in essence. If we go back to Friday the 13th, just for one, for one minute, really we said what we can do first is provide resources online on a public website that parents and students could download in a very simple fashion to keep learning going. In the background, while schools were shut down for those two weeks, there was intensive work to build up what remote learning would look like in a virtual environment, both synchronous and asynchronous. And that's where I believe school districts across the country who have, like us, already established learning management systems whose teachers are used to using a learning management system in many respects have a step up in this environment we're stepping into. It's very different because you have to trust the learning management system really to be the heart and the heart beat of all instruction. Right. But we have the advantage because we had close to 10,000 teachers who at least understood how to use the tools. And so then it was about how do you take that learning to the next level where there is no opportunity for face-to-face interaction to explain it. So, so that's, a, that's a big jump, right? So, so I know a lot of schools would be completely envious of your starting position, right? 10,000 teachers who know how to use an LMS and are familiar with it is like a huge advantage. But that next step is still really difficult. And it's one, no matter where you're on the spectrum right now, you're going to have to get there. So, so I'm really curious, how did you, how did you take that next step? How did, how did you help? educators move from just using the tools to really using them effectively for, for learning? So we did a couple things. Joseph, I want to uh, talk about one, which is we used our in-house experts. Luckily, we actually have an e-learning program in Baltimore County that is staffed by an administrative team that has fully certified teachers who do this for a living. While we were shut down, we went right to that team and said, we need a simple, clean template for how to make this work. And then we worked with our blended teaching and learning team that we have a number of resource teachers who support that team. And we stood those two teams up during the shutdown. And we then developed an entire week of professional learning. So the other thing we did is we didn't bring our students back right away. We said, We have all this packet information. We have learning for kids. And while they're doing 
that learning material. We're going to stand up our teachers and administrators and train them so they can feel as comfortable as possible coming back. We really capitalized on the expertise we had and then provided training for our teachers before we brought all of our students back into the environment. That way, when the students came back, you had a teacher who was confident, who was ready to go. You know, I, I've talked to so many teachers over the last few weeks, and the experience has definitely been, it's like my first day teaching ever. Yeah. It, it's, it's as if I'm a brand new teacher and I'm starting over. Um, and that's the truth for someone who's in their first year or someone who's in their 15th year. It is yeah. such a drastic change. And they're so focused on trying to recreate, you know, the nurturing environment of the classroom while they're trying to reach that student through new remote tools. It's extremely challenging. We had the learning management system. So we had that piece in place. But what we didn't have in place was deep use of a synchronous tool. And so that was a big part of our professional learning. We had access to a number of tools because of our relationships with our corporate partners, but we hadn't truly gone through the deep-seated process of standing it up and using it district-wide right. as a learning tool. That, for us, was the big additional step that we had to take. We had the learning management system in place. That was not a problem. It was really about standing up that synchronous tool. Now that you are in the middle of this, how do you think about it? What are your priorities? What, when, you, when you sort of get up in the morning, what are you thinking, okay, this must happen and this must happen and this must happen? We're blessed as a school system because we have a very rich and robust digital ecosystem. And inside that digital ecosystem, all of our tools are available for everyone. So it's not the haves and the have-nots of schools. Now everyone's at home. And the challenge is not everyone has internet access. So even if I get someone a device... What can that student do with that device? So it's, it's working with our service providers in the area. You know, are you willing to provide free internet access? It's working with um, companies who can potentially provide hotspots. Are, are you willing to, to work with us to get those needs out? The other challenge is every one of thousands of districts who are thinking around the same thing. Right. And, competing <laughs> for resources to help all their students. And so really, in a way, you're, you're doubling up, right? There's a, there's a paper packet backup that everybody gets, and then you're trying to get the devices out and getting them connected as quickly as you can. That's correct. Everybody at elementary gets a packet. So at the secondary level, because we know devices do go home already, what we've done at the, at the secondary level is we've created a form on our website where you would go online and you'd actually choose, if you need a packet, you choose by course. And then we're working with our copy and print office and we're running copies of those particular courses and then we'll mail them to you. So do you feel like you're on a trajectory where you really will be able to reach every student with a device and connectivity? Is that, is that, a, is that a reasonable goal? We have pockets of high, high need and we also have pockets where it's actually hard to get service. I know this sounds funny, but you know, as you, as you head up north, if you picture Maryland, as you head up north towards the Pennsylvania line, it becomes incredibly rural. And that's actually still part of Baltimore County. It's working with those families 
both those who are high need and those who are in locations that it's hard to get access to find, you know, what can they do? So whatever the options may be for parents, we try to help people understand that there's multiple pathways to get to the information they need. Mm -hmm. As you start to think about summer and you start to think about fall, the long-term new normal, um, how are you thinking about that? Summer is interesting. You know, I'm in my particular role in Baltimore County. I'm the executive sponsor of our summer program, so I oversee both our elementary and our um, and our secondary programs and the organization and the structure of what that looks like. And you know, typically in our summer programs, we serve thousands of students in a face-to-face environment, and it's about credit recovery and credit acceleration and mitigating gaps that might exist during the summer. And, you know, I think we all realize those gaps could be expanded. We could be dealing with even bigger numbers of students that may need served, yet we may not have the ability to go to a physical space to serve them. So we literally this week are starting our meetings around what are the A, B, C, and D options We want to be able to make sure that when students come back in the fall, we've done a good enough job of helping them reach standards. Although there may be gaps that exist, we can close those gaps. You know, I I think it's so important for everyone to understand that they also need that social emotional support. and, And we have to figure out how do we balance our children's needs for interaction with other kids. Thinking about districts that are not as far along as you are. How should they be thinking about this? I think it's so hard for us in this environment as educators to say, take it slow. But I really believe being methodical, being patient, and taking steps slowly will benefit in the long run, especially if we're in this kind of situation longer term than any of us would want to be. And so for school districts where this is new for them in in many ways. I think professional development really matters. Giving teachers an opportunity to learn and take that time to learn is important. Understanding that there's going to be bumps and bruises along the way and that those are great learning experiences. Being patient, all those things matter. Uh, You know, one of the things that we did that was very new for us when it comes to like devices and technology that um, I'm really proud of is we actually, for the first time ever over the course of this, stood up technical help desk for students and parents at home. And I would just say that for districts who are trying to figure out how to be really supportive, parents and students are having technical difficulties now in their homes. It's not happening in a schoolhouse. So is that a phone number they can call or an email they can send? How does mm-hmm. that work? We, we, have a, we stood up an entire site. We've always had a help desk number, but it was an internal help desk number. So what we did with that is we stood it up and now it's external. So we have a whole resource bank of, of help desks and now or, or, of help resources. And now we take tickets for home issues and uh, with parents and students wow. to, help, to help get them up to speed. And that was literally stood up in a matter of days. You know, our numbers are, are pretty telling. Last week, the vast majority of tickets naturally were from students and parents at home who need help. If we can, if we can lend a hand and help them get things working again, then that is another student connected. I think it's as, as teachers, teachers begin to get more comfortable in this environment, they're willing to take risks. And, um, and, and I think as we get further along in our learning, teachers who are willing to take the, that next step, wait a second, you know, I can do, what's a great example? You know, I can, I can have a virtual class meeting with all my students 
And I can actually ask the students to do a scavenger hunt in their house. You know, if I'm doing third grade and we're doing some sort of literacy learning and I need them to go find something, I can have them do that because you know what? They can go out and they'll come back. And so right. I think it's, you know, I think it's exciting. Teach, you know, I think it's also about you're starting to see them take video of themselves, potentially teaching a lesson. You're starting to see them ask students to record themselves doing something and then upload that video. And that begins to stretch into new places in terms of the opportunity for students to show growth. Yeah, that's fantastic. And, and it must be really exciting to see that uh, come out of your teachers. Looking across the country, um, and this is kind of a big question, what do you hope the country learns from this? I would say that human connection is really important. And I think what I'm seeing is that human connection can occur in many different forms. And we have the ability to use this technology in ways that are keeping students connected and energized in a, in a learning community like even I didn't think necessarily could happen with some of our youngest learners. And, and that's, a, that's a powerful indictment in a positive way on what these tools can do to uh, make an impact on a student's learning experiences. I personally, from my seat, am for the most part really proud of the ed tech community for the way in general we've stood up and accepted this challenge. It's not like we had a choice, but we took it head on. I'm not sure even if we do quote unquote go back to normal. I think we're seeing this opportunity where at least here in Baltimore County, 10,000 teachers are realizing there's all these tools that they could be using even when they're back in a physical classroom that can really potentially impact instruction. Well, it's been a pleasure to spend this time with you. Thanks for taking the time. I know that you are spending and everyone in your staff is spending literally day and night supporting your educators and your students. So really appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us today. Um, could you just briefly share um, your current role um, for our audience and just tell us a little bit about who you are? I'm Sophia Mendoza. I'm the director of the Instructional Technology Initiative for the Los Angeles Unified School District. And in my role, I have the opportunity to oversee the implementation of the ISTE standards. Another pivotal component for us in Los Angeles Unified is digital citizenship, followed up with our computer science education. We're just under 700,000 students. We have a very large geographic area that we support. We are a centralized function, the Instructional Technology Initiative, supporting a decentralized system. Each region has their local district superintendent, which is supported by our superintendent that oversees all schools. So you are going through very unusual times as we all are. Um, could you just walk us briefly through process? At what point were uh, LAUSD schools closed and uh, what was the lag time between that and when you started formal online learning? So the decision to close schools was made by our superintendent on Friday, March 13th. But leading up to that, as early as two weeks to the announcement of the Friday, March 13th closure announcement was made, 
our superintendent and office of communication were sharing daily updates. And this announcement was very coordinated with our Los Angeles County leaders. It was wonderful to have two weeks lead time for everyone to be aware and involved in what was happening in our school community. So I know a lot of educators really appreciated how our superintendent and office of communications was coordinating with our Los Angeles County leaders. Did you start teaching online immediately? So that was on Friday the 13th. Sunday afternoon, we received information that El Central Office employees were to start working from home, especially in the Division of Instruction. Right. So we um, immediately got online Monday morning and with the other leaders from the Division of Instruction, we started to pull all of our um, dynamic resources together that we all have in the area of professional development. What we were able to do for the Instructional Technology Initiative, the great thing is that we already have a catalog with an abundance of professional development, and about 95% of it is face-to-face. -face. That was a big request from our educators and our education leaders that they wanted face-to-face -face professional development. So we hit the ground running Monday morning, and we searched our catalog for the most relevant and rigorous professional development that we'd be able to turn around in a systematic way that, again, would be most meaningful. So we immediately went to our professional development suite called the ISTE Standards for Students. And in that suite, one of our professional developments is Global Collaborator. So it was extremely relevant to what was happening. We needed to know how to support our educators in this time-sensitive manner. So we immediately turned around that professional learning opportunity. And what we appreciated was that we have our instructional technology facilitators who stepped up to say, how can we support the redesign of this and keeping our educators in mind? So we were so you converted to, that you converted that to yes, fully online fully online when all of this is over our expectation is that the educators will continue these practices that was why we wanted to make sure we just didn't move straight into the tools we wanted to have a grounding unpacking of what it meant to be a global collaborator not only for our relevant time now but also thinking long term so the first week back the professional development was provided directly to our leadership in the Division of Instruction. We took their feedback the following week. We provided 12 sessions, 12 two-hour sessions to just under 6,000 educators, wow. all synchronous. So I really have to you know, hand it, give the big hand to our instructional technology facilitators who were facilitating these conversations, as well as to the instructional technology uh, central office team who really supported a lot of the design. It was, I really do have to give a big, big hand to our instructional technology facilitators who just really had stepped up. And all the while, they're still coaching and co-teaching their teachers that they work with on a daily basis. Right, so a lot, a lot was being asked of them next steps. I don't know if you want to hear about this. Yeah, this tell one. us about it. What okay. are your next steps? So today we will be launching an asynchronous course on digital citizenship. 
again, being a topic that is extremely relevant to today, we have an asynchronous course that really shares how LA Unified has taken our partnerships with Common Sense Education as well as with ISTE and how LA Unified has now created our definition of digital citizenship and how that relates to all of the content areas. And the big plus to this is when our educators complete this course, they will become a Common Sense Certified Educator. They are taking these steps knowing that they will come out with a certification that is really meaningful and purposeful to the work that they're doing. So we're getting ready to launch that today. So it seems like there's a theme to what you're saying, which is the professional learning that you're providing is not just designed for the moment, but it's designed for long-term support. Yes, we wanted to make sure that anything that's being learned now can be applied immediately. That's been one of our biggest points of feedback we've received from our educators and what's most been appreciated. Educators are just being bombarded with so many resources. Well, we wanted to make sure that if you have these two standards in your back pocket, these are going to help, these two will help you sail through this moment in time. And then beyond this moment, it sounds like you were also thinking about skills that would help them in the fall or even next year. The reason why we selected both Global Collaborator and Digital Citizenship is because these were areas that we were already engaged in prior to this crisis, and we already have a roadmap on how we were going to implement both Global Collaborator and Digital Citizen. Uh, these are two of our most um, impactful standards, so much so that for this school year, during our practitioner school model of support, we had selected Global Collaborator to be the theme. We had already started working with our educators around how might we be able to leverage dynamic digital tools and resources to be able to collaborate not only within this context of globally around the world, but how might we already do it within LA Unified? And what we had started to see uh, was something truly unexpected. We had students in the northern, uh, northeast San Fernando Valley collaborating with students in the Carson area of Los Angeles. This had never been done before, where students now know each other, now have collaborated on projects together. So are there um, innovative uses that you're seeing of the technology at this time? You know, a lot of districts I talk to, frankly, there's a lot of, um, you know, version one uses of the technology where educators are just coming up to speed, and that's completely understandable. Are you seeing anything that kind of goes beyond that? We're, we're seeing that too, as well. You know, 25,000 educators, and when we add our 40, when we add our administrators and our education leaders out of the classroom, we're reaching up to about 40,000 educators. So we do also see the continuum here in LA Unified. Um, but some of the innovations that I've started to see have been some of our educators, especially around our practitioner school educators, really making sure that they are connecting in a way that's meeting the students where they are. 
especially during this time, having opportunities for students to share how they're feeling, how they're coping, what's going on with their families. I think that has been one of the most um, impressive pieces that I've been able to see. We've seen some of our educators who have been working in the area of computer science to expand it to our most youngest learners. One particular educator uh, resonates with me. Her handle is at Kinder Keller from San Pasqual Elementary School, who has just continued to uplift the student voice and the opportunities that students have when they engage in computer science, especially around solving some of the problems that we're seeing today. These, these, are, educate, these are elementary students, and they're coming up with some um, really dynamic solutions I think that we all need to kind of listen to. I love how the example you just gave shows that we can use technology to empower our young people right now. I'm sure there, many of them are feeling disempowered, and this might be a way to give them a little, give them a sense of autonomy back. I was reading online, and I read about a major investment that LAUSD made very recently. I think it was $100 million, which is this eye-popping number. This was aimed at addressing some of the equity issues when it comes to access um, to technology. Could you explain a little bit how LAUSD has been working through the equity issues when it comes to learning? Since 2015, when our community came together to create the Instructional Technology Initiative recommendations around learner agency, collaborating across our large system and ensuring that students had the access to these high quality instructional opportunities. That has always been top of mind to make sure that we are not leaving anyone behind. Some of the strategies we've taken since 2015 is to partner with organizations such as the California Emerging Technology Fund and their partnership with School to Home, really targeting our middle grade students first and then providing the instructional supports at the school site. So one, partnering with our local agencies to help us bridge these gaps for our students who are most in need. Also looking at computer science education, ensuring that this is an expanded approach with our most youngest learners to our students in high school. Also, we provided another opportunity for educators to learn about how can we create a systemic plan before devices arrived at our school site we as an instructional leadership team, what are, going to, what are our goals going to be? How are we going to plan professional development? And that was one of the models of supports that we have on our catalog and to ensure that schools have that readiness approach, that they have completed recommended instructional prerequisites, such as digital citizenship certified educator, that they have uh, the systems in place to continue to support the professional learning opportunities. So creating those systems so that when schools have those opportunities to purchase devices on their own out of their own school site independent budgets, that they're able to say, yes, we have a plan and this is how we are going to implement. With the recent announcement from our superintendent of the $100 million to support our students who don't have 
uh, their own physical computing device. This will definitely make it possible. So you're a fairly unique district being uh, one of the largest in the country. And you're also unique in that in a lot of ways, you're much further down the EdTech road than several other districts. I'm curious, what advice do you have for other districts that may not be as far along as you are, who are feeling their way forward? So I think first things first, bring your community together, find out what is most important instructionally, and then from there, build your plan around those priorities of your community. For us, it was critical to have learner agency. Also, as opposed to being consumers of knowledge, provide those opportunities where, again, all learners can be content creators and understand that our educators, just as our learners, are in a continuum. So providing various entry points for our educators, especially during this crisis right now, taking that thought into the future, that there is no one-size-fits-all approach, especially with high-quality professional development. That would be some of the advice I would like to share with other uh, school districts, other leaders who are in the position to create learning opportunities. If people want to benefit from the resources that you've created, what's the best way for them to find those? Our website in the Instructional Technology Initiative is achieve.lausd.net slash ITI. In this website, you will find information about professional learning. You can access our catalog to see examples of how we've leveraged our Title IV dollars for effective use of technology. Again, the majority are face-to-face. We're in the process of redesigning this catalog for an online learning experience. You'll also find information on our partnership with ISTE and how we are showcasing the ISTE standards for all educators. And we have a page dedicated to our education leaders, a page of resources and very practical tips, bite-sized information for our educators. We are going to have an additional page where our instructional technology facilitators will be uh, hosting mini videos for our educators, which are really time of the essence. How do I teach literature in this online space? How do I teach computer science in this online space? Or even, how do I set up my virtual classroom? And those will be available to anyone, anyone in the country? This is open to all educators. Uh, We want to make sure that everything that we've learned over the last five years from everyone around the world in our local community and nationally, that we just share it back. We continue to give everything forward to everyone. We can't keep this under wraps, and we appreciate the feedback that we do receive from everyone. Well, thank you so much for taking this time with us today. Really appreciate it, Sophia. The Ed Influencers Podcast is brought to you by ISTE, the International Society for Technology and Education. Special thanks to Leslie Huff, Linda Abando, and Jisoo Song for supporting the podcast development and production. Please visit learningkeepsgoing.org to 
can access a curated list of free tools and resources to support schools and parents during extended COVID-19 closures, as well as an educator help desk where experts will answer your online learning questions.